1: Welcome to another Esports Moment, I'm Seamus Byrne. This week, I am catching up with Daniel Ringland. He is the head of all things Riot Games here in Australia. He's been around the company for the whole five years that they have been running things Uh, Down Under, the Oceanic Pro League has been a big deal here over that time. And so look, we caught up about that first five years of Riot Down Under, as well as the current state of the league, how the league fits into the the global uh, landscape, because they've carved out some kind of unique vibes here in the Australian market that actually a lot of overseas people uh, are really sort of... Uh, Not jealous of, fond of. I think that's probably a good word. Uh, And, of course, the future of Riot League of Legends and the OPL. So let's dive in my chat with Daniel Ringland from Riot Games. I'm really wondering about the very start of your time. I kind of remember when uh, in the industry... There was that buzz out there that like, you know, Riot was sort of starting to expand its team and looking for new people um, and there were plenty of people excited about that idea. So, uh, you know, when, when you first landed at Riot, you know, what were you kind of bringing to the table for them and what was the shape of kind of Oceanic League of Legends when you first joined Riot?
2: Yeah, so my, my journey to Riot was, was interesting. So, I was living in Los Angeles um, working for another video game company and um, I hadn't played much League. At the time, and um, a friend of mine who lived in Seattle wanted to come to Los Angeles because that was the year Worlds was at the Staples Center. Um, so he he hit me up and said, "Do you want to come along?" I was like, "Yep, sure, why not?" He explained how League of Legends worked on the back of a napkin at a bar <laughs> around the corner from the Staples Center, and I'll never forget. We walked into the venue and it, it had sold out. I think it was twelve thousand people, and I've just walked in and looked around and like oh my what? like oh my god this is <laughs> this is incredible um i must be part of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so coincidentally a recruiter reached out to me shortly after like a week after um so i went through the the job application process and eventually got the role and i started on the 1st of february uh, 5 years ago so so it's been a while now um when i started i think i was the fourth person on the on the team here so we were still really just building our Our local footprint, Um, the first thing I did when I, I think day one or day two on the job, we went to UNSW because they were in orientation week at the time and supported the club that was there and they were running some tournaments. And I think they signed up about 600 people to the League of Legends club and they later told me that that made them the second biggest club on campus (laughs) um, behind only one the beer club <laughs> and you're not going to pip that <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it really gave me an idea of like the size of the community and like how passionate people were to take their love for the league beyond playing it at home and and doing things um that was the year we ran our three tournaments so we we did events at PAX we were at EB Games we went to auckland and we ran esports tournaments but they weren't really a league and then it was the year after we we started the opl and started running our our full-time league and then we've kind of built it year on year and here we are halfway through 2019 and um the opl and the players and the teams and everyone involved there's a lot of people still involved who were back who were involved back then like i look at players like um, Swiper and people like E Jim, who <laughs> who were young kids, yeah, um, back then, and they're now you know young men, and they they're still involved and they're doing well, and that's that's really good to see. You can see that veterans look in their eyes now as well. Yeah. When they're out there playing. Yes, <laughs> they look at the young kids and they're like, "Wow, you were so young," and I'm just thinking, "That's how you were when you started."
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's it. We're heading like this year will be the kind of the fifth anniversary, in a sense of the you know, or like the fifth of the. OPL finals, you know, mm-hmm. when we sort of get to the end of the year. And I remember that great kind of Lunar Park event mm. um, yeah. that first time around and mm. just such a community festival that was sort of put on for that. You know, what what do you feel like are some of the standout moments through this kind of first five years?
2: Yeah, so if I think about the the amazing events, um, yeah, Lunar Park was was definitely one. Like we rebranded a Theme Park. <laughs> yeah, 11,000 people went to the park that day. Uh, Lunar Park averages two. <laughs> So that's a lot of League of Legends fans yeah. that, that came out. That was pretty special. It
1: was actually great. Like it's worth pointing out how how it wasn't just that you guys put on a on the tournament final, but mm. that I remember yeah seeing at the at some of the kind of game machines that yeah. you had kind of the stuffed toys you could win yep. were League toys. It was yeah crazy. like we rebranded a lot of
2: the parlor games. Um, and uh, i remember we did um we worked with the snack shop there and changed the name of the hamburger to be <laughs> broms burger and um things like that so yeah. we really did a full takeover of the theme park um we had timo's face put in front of the Lunar park face oh that's
1: right yeah um
2: <laughs> but because it was a the Lunar park face is like a heritage listed thing yeah. we couldn't attach anything to it so there was this complicated <laughs> scaffolding thing we we had to do in front yeah. of it um, that's one, um, going to Perth for supernova is, it was another event that was amazing because typically Perth doesn't get a lot of things. Um, yeah. so it was really good to go over there. I will never forget. I met this one guy who'd literally driven 2000 kilometers from, I don't know, middle of nowhere in WA yeah, driven wow. for this event. Um, and just kind of seeing that and seeing how passionate he, he was about it, I was like, wow, yeah. like, this is something special. Um, So that's another one. Um, The Nautilus Reef was was something pretty special for the first Ocean Week. Um, 40-odd thousand names on that reef. And if you follow Reddit, every now and then, there's a group of people who go and dive it and take photos of it. So there's been three times now. They've kind of updated the reef and cool. barely looks like nautilus now. It's a reef. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that worked. So so that was that's that was pretty special. That yeah. was a pretty. I I was in charge of getting that reef deployed. <clears throat> Various government agencies and that was actually really hard to do.
1: Um. But but we got it done. Eventually. I imagine when that idea landed on the whiteboard, it. It probably didn't quite, uh, you know, you didn't quite know how hard it was going to be by the end. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. I think it took me about nine months, multiple trips to meet with different government
2: departments in Queensland, try explaining video games and what we were trying to do to, you know, if, if someone who's worked for government for 30 years yeah. and doesn't know anything about gaming, that was some tough conversations. Yeah. Um. But then seeing how the community reacted when we when we finally got it deployed was was pretty special. Um, so that that stands out. Um, Brisbane OPL final was was good. Was, mm. That was another one that, you know, we had 2,500 people turn out for that, that sold out. Um, so it was good to get there. And then the thing I'm really excited about is, is MEO. Um, you know, that's an event that we'll, we'll do for, for a few years at least and it's good to see the government kind of investing in esports and yeah. recognising that it's a legitimate thing. So Visit Victoria, so they invest in things like the Formula One and the Australian Open and now they're investing in esports and there's a kind of a legitimacy piece there that I think is um, is really important. Um, and then the last thing I get really excited about is our high school esports stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's scaling pretty well. We've got quite a lot of schools involved now and the students that participate love it because they're often kids who aren't super excited about sports, but of course they still want to join a team yeah. with their mates and represent their school um, and we give them the opportunity to to do that. Um, so that's probably the project at the moment we're working on that excites me the most because um, we've seen testimony from teachers and students that have really genuinely loving having this opportunity to do a thing they wouldn't be able to do um, if it wasn't for what the team out there on the floor has built, which is, you know, Feels feels great.
1: Yeah, it's like I always just love that. In my head, I always think about that school newsletter when you know when some team gets to kind of have that moment where it was like you know these kids in our school represented the school and they won this title or whatever. Mm. And they would totally be the kinds of kids that probably aren't out at the you know the the track meet or Mm. in soccer team or whatever at that elite level, but that they've been able to kind of bring the skill that they love. Yeah, and and. Yeah, and be top dog for their school. Yeah, or go home and tell mum and dad, like, "Hey, mum
2: and dad, I'm I'm representing my school in League of Legends." And probably mum and dad don't really know what it is. And so last year, I think the Victorian final was at MEO, and um, there were parents there watching their kids on on the stage. And yeah, that was really good to see. Um, kind of parents and children connecting over their representing their school, even though they don't like sports. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah, it's
1: so awesome. Um now, you know, how unified is kind of the global global ecosystem for for league? You know, do you guys like talk to each other a lot at kind of that regional level or you know, are things fairly autonomous or how do you kind of share mm. best practices and ideas and things like that? Yeah, we we
2: collaborate a lot. So, the way Riot kind of structures things is each of the regions has their own league. Um each region sends a team to your MSI and your worlds. Um, And then we kind of have have our central body. So the central body is essentially in charge of setting things they want to be consistent globally. So one of the things I'm really proud of for Riot is the global contract database and the global penalty index. So the global penalty index is there to try to make sure that if a player does something wrong in Oceania, the penalty is similar to if another player does something similar in Europe or Brazil or Turkey or Japan or whatever it might be to kind of give us global consistency. Um, so that's, that's a really good piece. The global contract database is great. If a player signs a contract with a team in Australia, can't just walk out on that and go and sign a contract with a team in North America because we're all part of the one system. Um, so we typically get together in person once a year. So um, we'll have an eSports Summit where a lot of our, well, we take our whole team over there to meet with their counterparts in other regions to discuss opportunities, problem spaces, how we can improve, all that sort of thing. Um, but it's kind of every two weeks we're having a meeting with the central team and kind of sharing where we're up to. Um, you know, we do, when we've got something we're proud of, we, uh, we that we want to share with the rest of the world, we'll make a video about it and, they compile it into all the videos from the region sharing information so that everybody can watch them. Um, so we get to cross-collaborate and learn from each other a lot. Um, and our team has both contributed to that a number of ways. Like when we when we got MEO and worked with Visit Victoria, we shared that with the rest of Riot. So they was like, hey, this is how you can work with government. Um, and we've also taken a lot on board from the other regions as well. Um, so I think having that global footprint the global consistency
1: and the way we share
2: amongst ourselves is one of the things that makes us pretty strong.
1: Yeah. And, look, I think uh, it's probably worth kind of jumping to the the AFL, a, 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 AFL, <laughs> AFL partnership <laughs> mm-hmm. because, yeah. it you know, it seems like it's been such uh, a <laughs> – a a positive sort of look at how Mm. uh, a traditional sports org but that is clearly like a really smart traditional sports organization um, has wanted to kind of take its first steps and that it's been working hard to find those right partners and that both at team level and organization level that they've really built a great partnership with you guys, right?
2: Mm. Yeah, so the AFL deal, yeah, that's another thing that we kind of shared back globally like, hey, this is where you can work for the sport. Um, It's been really good. We knew when we started talking to them that we didn't know how an esport sport and a traditional sport can work together, and they didn't know either, but we knew there was something there to explore. Mm. So Riot and the AFL spent a lot of time getting to know each other. So we took most of our team down to Melbourne, and they talked to us about their history, walked us through like what their company values and their mission is and all those sorts of things to help us understand them as a company. And then we did the same. We had a bunch of people come here and we talked to them about Riot. And what we found was that there was a lot of similarities around being focused on the fan and um, putting the fan first. And a lot of the company values were very similar. Mm. So we walked into the partnership kind of with a, we don't know where this is going. Let's just kind of walk together and figure it out. So it's kind of evolved year on year as we kind of, worked together and found things that worked, things that didn't work, things where we needed their help, things where they needed our help. Um, so where we're really focusing on at the moment is how to um, how to build partnerships around our sport that can make it sustainable. Um, the AFL, as far as sports in Australia go, like they're the most professional, they monetize the best, um, they bring in a lot of revenue, but they also don't compromise on their values to their fans, which is important to us as well. So when we wanted to work with a sport, like they were, the, they were the, the clear choice. Yeah, yeah
0: potentially your cat's life. Pretty litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code Acast for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
1: Um I think another really cool thing about OPL has been that it seems like particularly in the last couple of years that the like the hosting vibes have really started kind of carving out mm. their own personality. <laughs> yeah. um, and that I've even, I've kind of seen on Twitter and stuff that like the overseas. Um, whether it's fans or kind of other casters at other areas are always kind of like going, man, like those OPL guys are kind of really putting on a show. Mm. Um, Yeah. I'm curious, kind of feel like, you know, is that a kind of a fair assessment of how it fits? Was that by design or was it really just kind of going, just let them off the leash and kind of go for it? A bit
2: of both. So when we started doing the OPL, the, uh, the first thing I guess we did, or the the natural um, inclination, was let's kind of do our version of the LCS. So you know, we had the guys in suits and ties. It was very much just a like a localization of the mm. of of the LCS. Um, but over time, we kind of thought, well, where he like if if an oceanic player wants to watch the LCS. They can do that. You know, it's not TV where they can't get the subscription because it's not on Channel 9 or whatever. Um, they can just go and watch it. So that need is already served. So we kind of asked ourselves, like, why are we here? Why do we do the OPL? And the answer is because we want to meet the local needs they have. And we wanted the show to feel more oceanic, more appeal more to Australians, appeal more to New Zealanders. So we kind of sat back and we're like, okay, well, how can we do things differently? Um, so part of that was getting the people in place that we thought kind of represented the region. Um, and that's why you see people like Jim on the show, um, you know, 20, when I started in 2015 or 2014, he was a pro player and he's kind of grown up with esports. So yeah. to me, his journey is a big part of our history. Um, so it was giving them a bit of space to be themselves, but it was also like, Hey guys, let's make this fun. Um, so people like bringing hangers on. Last year, um, obviously Niche Boy, this year they bring a certain um, co- comedy yeah. <laughs> to the show, but they can also be serious about yeah. it. So the producer, Matt Bowen, um, before he came to Riot, he works for the cricket. Um, so he's he knows how to put together a top-tier broadcast. He's also a gamer. Um, and the mandate to him was like pretty much just like – let's have some fun with this. Let's do something special. Let's do something unique. Um, we'll make mistakes along the way. Let's learn from them and just keep evolving the show. So I think it's in a great place. Yeah. Um, and we do get lots of feedback from all over the place saying your show is, is fun um, and it should be fun yeah. um, and it shouldn't just be a copy of another league. So yeah, it's it's been, we've wanted to do something bespoke to the region by design, but what it's how it's become what it has is been kind of taking people off the leash and just saying, have some fun.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and it really kind of seems to match the the wider story of I think how eSports has, you know, that a lot of those, yeah, a lot of those broadcast decisions were always, it started from that place of saying we let's do things kind of the way that a traditional sports broadcast works. Um and and then everything has kind of started to evolve to embrace like yeah, but how do we be ourselves mm. and how do we show that we're we're kind of connected to the community itself as well? I mean, I imagine that the casters also have probably pretty cool relationships and you know fandoms of their own amongst the fans out there, rather than being that very arms length kind of style of a tr- of a more traditional broadcast type organization. You know, did, did when when there's live events and things, uh, you know, do those guys get as much attention as, or, you know, similar attention to the players when, when people are looking for autographs and things like that?
2: Yeah, they do. Um, particularly because a lot of them now are, are ex-players that have been around a long time. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, a caster career can potentially be longer than a playing career, and mm. if you've been a player than a caster, well then you've been around a while like five years for e for example um so those guys yeah they do they do gotta get a lot of attention because they're front and center with a lot of what we do, and they, yeah they spend a lot of time in twitch chat or Twitter or whatever it might be interacting with the community yeah,
1: um so people are always really keen to
2: to meet up with them, yeah,
1: yeah. and then I keep hearing from kind of. Big picture global type discussions that you know sponsors are getting a better sense of eSports now that it's sort of getting a little bit easier to to you don't have to explain eSports, but you know you still have to teach them how to how to participate but you know do you feel like um, do you feel like that kind of journey is a little bit easier or is it still kind of difficult in Australia um or you know what do you try to focus on when you're trying to find the right kinds of partners to get mm. involved with uh, with riot so it's getting easier. Um, so
2: we've been trying to monetize and find partners for esports for, and only really putting effort into it for maybe three years now. Um, the focus at the beginning was let's build the thing and make it good. Um, and one of the things that's great about being at Riot is we're not just an esports company. We own a video game quite a popular one (laughs) so um we we didn't need to kind of rush into monetization and partners we could kind of build everything first yeah and now that we feel like we've built something really good we can be looking to find the partners and say hey like how can we work together to meet your needs and meet our needs and deliver our fans a great experience um so we're at that point now um the conversations with with partners have changed before when I first started kind of focusing on this, it was me attending conferences and what is eSports? And I would say something like, who here in the room has heard of Twitch? And there might be 500 people and like six hands go up. Um, Who's heard of anything about eSports? You know, 10 hands, something like that. Now it's very different. Like they've all heard of it. They all know it's a thing. They all know they need to have an eSports strategy. And they're now at the stage of figuring out what that is. So it's not so much now, if esports, it's how esports. Yeah. But that's still very confusing <laughs> <laughs> because there's so many games, and then a lot of games have different leagues. And for from the outside looking in, it's it's hard to understand which is the best one. Yeah. Um, so a lot of our meetings with partners are very much uh, educational on what this is, what Riot is, this is what the OPL is, this is what high school, this is what uni is, this is what it isn't. Um, we need to really be work with them to make sure their expectations are are right. Like we don't want to go in and like oversell and under deliver. Like esports is still in an early stage of its journey, and yeah. they need to know that um, getting in when being seen to help build something is is good, but they can't expect the viewership of the AFL. <laughs> yeah, we we'll, you know that's we're not there yet. Um, so kind of making sure that they
1: understand, um, what they're, what they're committing to is, is an important part of it. Yeah. Um, you guys are also doing, I think a really good job on grassroots initiatives. I kind of, I think the more conversations I have, the more it feels like this is one of the next big areas that, you know, that we need to sort of solve again for esports is almost like finding those local connections. So not just kind of the online, entry-level type play, but really mm. helping people connect. And I think with high school and university league things that you guys have been doing, it's, it helps to kind of, you know, get to that point for a, a lot of different things. So, um, you know, how do you kind of feel like the work you are doing is, you know, is helping to improve that? But also, you know, what do you think in general, what are you learning from that process, of, I guess, of trying to participate in that sort of school and high school environment? Um that, I, that is kind of bringing those kinds of traditional values mm. um, that in some ways I feel like helps to kind of show off the best of what games can be, right, that it can mm. bring people together and and give all those kinds of competitive teamwork, cooperation type <laughs> values that people yeah. think you can only find in other places.
2: Yeah, the, the high school program is probably the thing we work on that I think um, can have the most, like has the most potential to do good and, mm. and have have a real impact on the world. Um there's so many youngsters these days that aren't interested in participating in traditional sport and they're missing out on learning a lot of the lessons you you pick up when you play a traditional sport like you know if you're you know 15 and in high school and playing on the soccer team and maybe you go out one day and you have like a really bad loss or maybe you go out and you win you thrash a team and you're being a bit arrogant about it your coach is going to be there to be like, hey, man, like that's not cool. Mm. You should win but also be a good sport about it. That's an important life lesson that if you don't do that, you're missing out on. And there's many other kind of aspects of sportsmanship that, that you miss out on. Yeah. So being able to make sure that gamers have access to be able to learn these life lessons is, is really important to us. Um, it's tough. So as difficult as it is to go and talk to um, a brand sponsor partner, and educate them on the, the upside and the benefits of esports. Talking to somebody who um, works in the Department of Education is even harder. Yeah, um, they're very cautious about what gets led into school, which is great. Yeah, <laughs> because that's important, and we like that. Um, but it's very hard for them to kind of understand why esports is. Um, as important to these young kids as as it is yeah. Um, because a lot of them, they didn't grow up with games. Um, so the uh, concept of an eSport being legitimate and the concept of a young kid caring as much about playing League of Legends for their school as I don't know, being on the swimming team or whatever, it's very difficult for them to wrap their head around. Um, so we spent a lot of time talking to various different educators about the benefits of our league of legends program and and we are making progress there but that's that's kind of been the hard part like we don't just want to run high school tournaments and have five kids from the school enter a team we want to run a high school tournament and have the school embrace that tournament and have the kids be able to wear the school colors and be in the newsletter when they win and and things like that so we really want it to be institutionalized um, rather than just appealing to kids who go to high school, we yeah. want high schools to be involved. Yeah. Um, and that's going to take time. Um, we've been at that for a few years now, and and we've made progress. Um, but there's still a ways to go. Um, but we know that we're kind of trying to change the world on that one. Yeah. Um, so you don't expect to do that. Um, in in a year or two years. Um, so we're going to keep kind of plugging away at that.
1: Yeah. And I, off the top of my head, I can't re- is. Is most of that run in partnership with what is now Meta or is it that you guys actually run a lot of that program yourselves? So, yeah, this year we've partnered with Meta. Yeah. Um, so that's heavily
2: run by the Adelaide Crows. Yeah. Um, they have also worked in Queensland um, with UQU. Um, so they have a university, but they are a university. Yeah. Um, and they're using esports as both an engagement tool for current students but also as a tool to differentiate themselves from QUT. So if you live in Brisbane or Townsville or whatever it might be and you're choosing which you need to go to and you really like video games and eSports, well, you're going to go to the one that has an eSports program. Yeah. Um, so that's been really exciting to see a university, like on an um, institutional level, get behind eSports. And we're seeing a number of universities kind of come on board now. So um, UTS will have an OCS team this year. Yeah, cool. Um down in uh melbourne we've got monash universities involved with order and is running their ocs team so that's pretty exciting because as the universities themselves get involved in esports like they can they got a lot of weight they can throw behind these programs Mm. um so we're looking to work with as many universities
1: as possible yeah and that's actually really great seeing them in that challenger series space because Mm. i mean it helps to you know i mean in some ways if they've branded the team with a bit of their uni name attached to it or something, then yeah, I mean, that's in its own way to this right kind of audience that is showing off that that uni has that kind of commitment to that space. I can Mm. imagine a lot of people looking at the, the league ladders and things would be like, oh, wow, you know, that, that shows they're a pretty forward-thinking yeah. <laughs> university and they're part yeah. of this world that I care about. Yeah,
2: that's that's part of it as well, like showing that they're, like universities should be embracing the future, right? They're yeah. kind of <laughs> educating the leaders of the future. Yeah. Um, so it is part of it for them is to show that, you know, they they recognize that this is a thing and they're investing in it. Um, it's interesting in Queensland, so within Brisbane, sorry, we've got QUT and UQU yeah. They both have OCS teams now. And um, they also have been running tournaments between the two and the students all go and watch because there's quite a quite a rivalry in yeah. all their traditional sports. Yeah. But now that's kind of transcended into League of Legends, which is exciting yeah, as well.
1: Cool. So what do you feel like the biggest challenges are for the continued success of esports in this region in particular? I think the biggest challenges for esports are figuring
2: out, um, you know, what we are and what we aren't. Um, so what I mean by that is... There's a lot of parallels between esports and traditional sports, but there's so many differences as well. Um, and it's really knowing when to okay, let's adapt this from esports from traditional sports, and then it's when okay, no, we don't need to do this. We're a digital game; we can go in an, in another direction. So, knowing when to make the right call on that, um, I think, is an important one um, for sure. Getting sponsorships in um, is important. Um, we, what we're building, we want to exist for a long time. Um, we love that we have like the the bombers representing. I mean, they're the first AFL team to go abroad, right? Yeah. They've just played in front of uh, millions of people around the world. Yeah. Um, you know, AFL doesn't reach much yeah. more than that. We <laughs> yeah, don't have exactly. that many more people. Yeah. Um, so seeing them get involved um, and all of our other OPL investors, they bring so much value to the fans. um but they're also in it because they're business people. Um, So we want to get to the point where it's a sustainable operation for them as well. Um, And that means figuring out how esports commercializes. Um, And it won't be the same as traditional sports. You know, AFL, NRL, a lot of their revenue comes from let's sell our TV rights to Channel 9 um, and give them exclusivity. Um, whereas it probably won't work in the same way for esports because we've grown up and been created in the digital world of Twitch and YouTube. Um, so figuring out, yeah, like how do we do the right thing by the fans? Um, and how do we, um, create commercial opportunities without compromising on our values to the fans? Because we need to make sure first and foremost, that the fans love the OPL because without them, what are we here for? Yeah. <laughs> um, but then we need to make sure that the pro players it's sustainable for them, the team owners it's sustainable for them, the the partners that come in to build with us, it's sustainable for them. So the complication is putting the fan first, but then also trying to balance the often conflicting demands of the other actors in the in the ecosystem um, we know which
1: is a which is a challenge. Um, but we think we're making
2: good progress, yeah.
1: And so then what excites you the most about what will be the second five years of the yeah. OBL?
2: The the dream for me continues to be international success. Yeah, um, Every region is growing and all the teams are becoming more sophisticated. Um, you know, we talk a lot about rugby union and the All Blacks. You know, New Zealand, small country, very small country, um, but dominant in rugby union. So how do we become that? How do we punch above our weight? Mm. Um, and we have quite, we meet with our team owners and the team owners will get together. And it's like, how do we raise the, the the bar? How do we keep everybody getting better so that when we go overseas, we can have those those international wins? So I believe they'll come. Um, we've got so many people putting so much time and effort and resources in into getting there. Um, this year is the first year I would say where, All of our teams have significant backing and investment um, and expertise behind them. And as each of them gets better, they make each other better by playing against each other. And then when we go overseas, we should perform better. So that'll be the dream always. Um, I believe we'll get there.
1: The Esports Moment is produced by me, Seamus Byrne, as part of the Byteside Podcast Network. You can find this and other shows over at Byteside.com or, of course, you can find them in all your favourite podcast apps and Spotify and all those lovely places where people like to grab these audio files and put them in their earholes. Uh, if you like this show, if you like any of the other shows, it really does help if you drop reviews in all those places where reviews go it does help algorithms spread the word and of course just just tell other people to come and check it out if you're enjoying it and you think that they might enjoy it too until next time i'm Seamus Byrne and i will see you then